thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. starting at verse 25. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. When he, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Church, if you'd like to take notes, you can grab a notes booklet from the back of the church. That might be helpful for you. Uh, Also, if you want a full text copy of the sermon, there are some there as well. Uh, I'm not sure whether you've seen the TV show Suits or not. Anybody seen that one? Watched Suits? No, not too many. Just there's a few of us. All right. That's a start. Uh, it majors on the, uh, the life and misadventures of Harvey Specter. You can see him there, very handsome man. Uh, he's a top corporate lawyer who hires the deadbeat bike courier called Mike Ross as one of uh, his associates. Now, Mike has never passed or the bar. Uh, he's not a lawyer. He's just a bike courier who has a penchant for dealing drugs on the site. Uh, and he hires Mike Ross as his associate at one of New York's most prestigious law firms. And as the show unfolds, you not only see how they go about practicing the law, but how they manage to cover up the fact that they're breaking the law uh, by their very taking on different cases. Uh, If there's anything this show has taught me, it's this. A lawyer can ask a question that means something completely different from the words coming out of their mouth. In Luke, it feels a bit like Jesus is coming up against this bloke, Harvey Specter himself. As a lawyer, an expert in the Jewish law hammers him with a question which aims to achieve something very different from what it sounds like on the face of it. 
Today in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, we're going to grapple with that question and Jesus' answer. We're going to spend some time understanding the lawyer's questions in verses 25 through 29 before we see Jesus getting to the heart of the matter in verses 30 to 35. And then finally, we'll spend most of our time exploring how Jesus asks a better question in verses 36 and 37. Why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word and that you speak to us by it. And we ask this morning that your spirit would open our ears and our hearts to receive it. Lord, where there is challenge, would you help us to hear it? And where there is confirmation of your grace and glory, would you help us to rejoice in it? We ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, Well, the chances are you know this parable fairly well if you've been around church for any length of time. It's a story that Jesus told, and he told it for a specific reason. He tells this story to answer a question at a specific place and time, which has great value for us today if we're committed to following Jesus as Lord. Luke begins by telling us that on one occasion, an expert in the Jewish law stood up and he asked Jesus a question. And the question was, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there's a bit of a power play going on that's not obvious to us in the story. He stands up as if he's showing respect. It's what you'd do if you were going to ask a rabbi a question. But Luke tells us in verse 25 that he's not really trying to honor Jesus as a rabbi at all. He wants to test Jesus. He wants to throw him into a spin. The lawyer's question is really this. What must I do to share in the resurrection of the righteous at the end, something which was contested within Israel's history? He's asking, what are the parameters, what are the boundaries that mean that I can be sure I'm on God's side on the day of judgment? But Jesus refused to be drawn into his question. Did you see the way he threw it back at him? He says, mate, you know the law. How do you interpret it? You tell me what thing you're going to do. It's probably because he's charging in seven-minute blocks. He answers the lawyer with a bit of a mashup. He takes Deuteronomy 6.5 and then Leviticus 19.18 and fuses them together. And he says, here is the answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And in that answer, he's hit the nail on the head. The Torah, the Jewish law, requires both love of God and love of neighbor. At the heart of entering into eternal life is the highest level of commitment, a commitment to worship God with all we have, a life of devotion that places God at the center of our faith, at the center of our lives, and then drives us forward to love others in a way that is costly and sacrificial. These two ideas of loving God and loving neighbor are interwoven. They're two sides of a coin. You can't separate them. How could you possibly say that you love God and not love people? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. How can you claim to fear God and not serve or care for or nurture and for us ultimately point others to the same loving God that you claim to want to share eternity with? And so Jesus gives him his answer in verse 28. He says, you've got it. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer still isn't happy. 
And Luke tells us why. He wants to justify himself. He wants to evade a possible obligation of faith. He's willing to accept that he's supposed to show love to God and his neighbor, but now he comes back to Jesus and says, Mr. Rabbi, tell me more. Who is my neighbor? Show me who is in and who is out when it comes to this kind of love that the law demands. The lawyer is driving for a distinction. He wants some people to fall into the neighbor category and for other people to fall outside of it. He wants to know how far his obligation to love extends. The lawyer's question is who can he ignore, who can he not love and still manage to make it over the line on the day of judgment? And so Jesus decides that he will tell a story which goes to the heart of the matter that the lawyer wants to explore. In Jesus' lesson, he describes this man who's going along a dangerous road, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's known as a bad spot. And no surprises, this poor joker who's walking along is attacked and robbed. He's stripped naked and left for dead. But all hope is not lost for him. As the poor man is lying there on the floor, battered and bruised, hope appears on the horizon. Look at verse 31. Coming down the road at that time is a priest. Here is someone who serves as a religious leader in the life of Israel. All is not lost. The dying man still has a chance. The priest who served God in the temple could be hoped to serve a wounded traveler here on the roadside but we don't get the outcome we expected in Jesus' story. The priest sees the wounded traveler, this man left for dead, and he passes by on the other side of the road. But all hope is not lost. As the poor man is lying there, battered and bruised, hope appears on the horizon. Look at verse 32. Coming down the road towards him this time is a Levite. The tribe of Levi was responsible for looking after the sanctuary of Israel, By assisting the priests, they prepared sacrifices, they looked after the kind of area outside the temple, they looked after the special vessels that were used, they served in different ways in the life of the worshipping life of Israel, Uh, they were musicians and singers and gatekeepers, and they also helped by interpreting the law. So for this man who is lying battered and bruised, here comes a servant from the temple, all is not lost. But then... We don't get the outcome we expected. The Levite sees the wounded traveler, this man left for dead, and he passes by on the other side of the road. They have both passed us by in Jesus' story. It's unexpected and it's shocking. Two servants of God, for reasons unknown to us, Jesus doesn't give them, have passed by on the other side. They have gone out of their way to cross over to ignore the situation and not give assistance. These are upright people. These are people who epitomize obedience to the law. These are the ones who do it all right in the temple and the religious life of Israel. The expectation of those listening is that these upstanding, righteous pillars of the community would stop and help. You can imagine their sense of of outrage that Jesus hasn't cast them in that light. 
I think the outrage that they're feeling would be similar to us hearing that a doctor has chosen to wander past an accident site and not help. It would be a big deal, wouldn't it? The Herald would let us know that that had happened. The New Zealand Code of Ethics for Doctors says that they should respond promptly if they are needed for a medical emergency. This is your ethical obligation as a doctor. Failing to attend a medical emergency simply because it is inconvenient for you is unacceptable and may result in disciplinary action. It doesn't matter what time tea offers, doctors need to help. The ethical and the moral obligation for the priest and the Levite was even higher than this expectation of the New Zealand medical boards because they are servants of God. In Jesus' story, they walk past. They are unwilling to help, and it's a scandal. And then an even greater scandal occurs. Now, it looks like all is lost. Look at verse 33. Because coming down the road is a Samaritan. Here is an outsider, an alien. Here is a traitor to God in Jewish eyes. There is no love lost between the Israelites and the Samaritans. Remember back to last week, chapter 9, verse 55, and there we've got James and John, and they want to call down fire and roast the Samaritans who rejected the message of Jesus. What has happened now in Jesus' story is the bad guy has arrived on the scene, kind of tabooing and hissing like at a pantomime when that guy with the big moustache comes out in the top hat. But to the shock of the crowd... The Samaritan does what the priest and the Levite wouldn't do. He is moved with compassion, and he goes to the man. He attends to the dying man's immediate needs. He dresses his wounds, and then he goes above and beyond. He takes him to safety at his own inconvenience. He pays for his medical care, and then he says to the innkeeper who he takes him to, put all of his medical expenses on my tab. I'll be back tomorrow, and I'll settle it then. In the story that Jesus told, what is highlighted for us is the heart of being a neighbor out of love for God, having the compassion and the mercy and the love to see a need and act to meet it. As Jesus continues to show people what it means to be his followers, remember that big discourse last week? where he talked about what it meant to go out as his followers, where their hope should be. He continues to equip people to be his followers. He continues to point them to how they can inherit eternal life. He continues to help them to lift their eyes above their obligation under the law, to lift their eyes above the boundaries and to life-giving faith and trust in him instead. How will they be saved? It's not something that they need to do to be saved. It's not meeting an obligation which will secure eternal life. It's not by working out who we can exclude from our Christian duty and still make it over the line on the last day that shows a love for Jesus and a love for others. It is believing in our heart and confessing with our tongues that Jesus Christ is Lord and then submitting to his lordship by being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we don't just do the bare minimum 
or foolishly live as if keeping the right rules would seem that somehow we'll make the grade on the day of judgment. Jesus tells this story to show us what it means to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and all our mind and all of our strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. He tells this story so that he can ask a better question. Not, what must I do to be saved, which was the lawyer's question. Jesus asks, who will you be? You claim to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and your mind, but you are seeking to limit the expression of God's love to others. You're wanting to work out where you can stop, where you can hold back, who you can exclude and still get over the line. You want to limit the scope of the kingdom of God. You want to nail down where you're off the hook in his eyes. What are the limits to how we love as a response to the grace that we have been showed by Jesus? Last Saturday, I took a wedding here at Holy Trinity. And at the heart of the wedding service, the bride and the groom made solemn vows to each other. As Cinny and Haley expressed their commitment to each other, they were left with no doubt about the scope of the way they were committing to love each other under God's ideal for marriage. What if life gets tough and things happen to us that we don't expect in marriage? You know, what if the situation we're in when we make that commitment is totally flipped? Well, we've committed for better, for worse. What if we completely tank financially? One of us loses our job and the financial pressure mounts. Or what if suddenly we make a whole stack of cash and we've got a range of better options than we did when we chose this person? Well, sorry, you're committed for richer, for poorer. Zane, what if one of us gets really ill? Can we then bail and still keep God happy? You are committed in sickness and in health. What if our feelings change? What if we change? What if in three months or 12 months or 20 or 30 or 60 years time, we are not the same people anymore because we've changed and developed? Well, you have committed to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. When Christian marriage vows are shared, bride and groom make a total commitment to each other in these words, don't they? There is no wriggle room in that commitment. Have you noticed? In that covenant, there is nothing that you are excluding from doing for the other person. There is no wriggle room. There is no limiting of commitment for the follower of Jesus. As Jesus tackles the lawyer, he asks a better question. Did you see it in verse 36? Which of these was a neighbor to that man? Who was obligated to help? Well, we thought the priest. Surely he would bend down and help. He's a religious leader. Or the Levite, a servant in the temple. Surely he would serve this man. But they both crossed to the other side. Neither was a neighbor despite their obligation. Which was a neighbor? The one who had mercy on him, comes the lawyer's response in verse 36. Jesus asks the people who truly desire to live with him for all eternity, 
Will you make a total commitment? Will you be a neighbor? Will you go and do likewise, verse 37? Will you be a person that so bears the cost of discipleship out of your love for Jesus and gratitude for the salvation that he has given you, that you would inconvenience yourself, and not just for another, but for a despised enemy like the Samaritan did for the broken man? Will you so love with the love of God that you will put yourself out and then make that obvious, showing that his love and mercy is changing your heart by the way that you give to, care for, and love another? The, Christian, the question for the Christian, the question for the person who says they're a follower of Jesus, the true disciple should never be, what must I do to make it over the line? What are my obligations? How much do I have to shoulder? But sometimes we fall into that kind of thinking, don't we? We can ask it about church life. How often do I have to turn up? Is once a month enough? Does it have to be fortnightly? Is it when I'm on the roster? We can ask it about giving. How much of my cash do I have to hand over? Is it 10%? Is it what I have left over? Is it the first bit? Do I have to give anything at all? We can ask it about serving in the church. What ministries do I have to participate in? Do I have to go to the prayer meeting? Do I have to turn up to the shared lunch? Do I have to go to a home group? They're the wrong questions, aren't they? As people who have received the inestimable, never-ending love of God through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There will be times that we catch ourselves trying to limit the response that we're meant to make to his love and then to justify it. There are times where we will find ourselves asking the kind of question like, who is my neighbor? But the call on the follower of Jesus is to give much more than our obligation. It is to give our all to the one who has given his all, more than we could ever really understand this side of eternity, so that he might redeem us and save us from the wrath of God. The call on the disciple is to total and complete commitment that would see every single part of our lives reshaped by the gospel. So the question isn't, what's my obligation? But who does Jesus make me as a response to the love of God? Church, we do that as a response. We do that out of thankfulness, not as an obligation, not as a cheat sheet of things that we can tick off when we stand before Jesus to qualify us for eternal life. We were reminded last week that we can't even recognize who Jesus is unless he reveals himself to us in chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. So how do we think we could ever earn our way into his presence? If we think that we can somehow do just the right thing to qualify for eternal life, Jesus' life, earned by his sacrificial death, where he took the full punishment for sin and the wrath of God in his place, then we are sadly mistaken. We can't even respond in faith without God's work of grace opening our eyes to our spiritual blindness. We can't even hear Jesus' voice if he doesn't open our ears. It is our response as followers of Jesus that means that we give our all. As a heartfelt sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, 
as a way of showing that those who love God trust him. That is when we open the scriptures so that we hear his voice and are shaped by him and accept him humbly as our Lord. True disciples will come to him asking for pardon and a peace that endures and be transformed by his Holy Spirit at work in them, penetrating deep into hearts, making them new so that we would be people who love deeply and embody the good news no matter what the cost. So that we would be people who are being changed from the ones who naturally want to set boundaries and work out our obligations, who want to limit what is required of us, instead to turn and change and express our thanks and joy and wonder at the goodness of God, who saves by pursuing the high bar. We don't need to be people who ask, who is my neighbour? But instead ask, as I love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and strength and mind, who can I be a neighbour to? Why don't we pray that we would ask those questions? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the way that it challenges us. We acknowledge before you today that there are times where we want to work in our own strength and set obligations. There are times where we want to work out what we've got to do to make it, aside from trusting you. Lord, when that happens, when we ask those kind of questions that the lawyer asked, would you convict us by your Holy Spirit and remind us of what we've read in your word today, that you ask a better question, who is my neighbour? Lord, we pray that you would help us to live out the love that we have for you in a way that is sacrificial and costly, and that by it others might come to know and love you and serve you all the days of their lives. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.